Please turn this afternoon to Matthew 6 again. Matthew chapter 6. In verses 9 through 13, we read, as we saw this morning, of the Lord's Prayer. Also this morning, we looked at how the prayer should instruct us and how it should shape us. Because our communication with God is not something that is primarily intended to shape Him. He is unchanging. But it is instead to shape us. When we are delighting in Him, He changes our desires to conform to His. That that is something we can rest in, even at times when we don't feel like conforming to what He has said. But this afternoon, I want us to look further at a more, even more applicable way that the Lord's Prayer can help us and teach us to pray, and that is that it gives us standards or priorities for prayer. I want us to see this afternoon three, I guess you could say probably four priorities that are given, but the three that we'll look at more than the fourth. And I'll go ahead and just tell you what they are. Uh, The first priority is the spiritual blessings on a large scale. Like pray for large scale spiritual blessings, particularly having to do with the kingdom of Christ. The second priority, and this is not necessarily something that's saying it's the second most important thing, it's just the second thing in this prayer, is a prayer for physical needs. That is a standard that we should pray for. And then, thirdly, for personal spiritual needs. So there are very broad spiritual needs that we pray for, but there's also personal spiritual needs to pray for. And then the last thing that is Jesus says in this prayer is he gives a doxology. That is, he ascribes power and glory to God, the Father. So, in the very first portion of the prayer, verse 9, Jesus said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So this is the introduction. This is when he addresses his Father. We said that the theme of God as our Father is found sometimes in the Old Testament, so it's present there, but it's especially seen in the epistles of Paul. Jesus called God Father, which He is, and because we are in Christ, we too address Him as our Father. Now there are some who mistakenly see God as being everyone's Father. In other words, we're all... I had one man who was a moderate Jew several years ago told me, he said, you know... Fact is, we're all God's children. Christians, Muslims, even people who are totally, you know, who don't have religious belief, we're all God's children. And it is true in the New Testament that being the children of God has now expanded from only being a Jew to someone who is, or to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. But in Scripture, 
you do not find the idea of God's children being those who are apart from Him. You don't see people being called God's children who don't have a place in the kingdom. So Jesus begins by giving glory to God the Father and calling for His name to be honored. And then we see, again, the first main request that Jesus has, and that is, again, for very large-scale, grand and broad spiritual needs. Now, when I say that it's grand and broad, that's not to say that it's vague and indefinable. Because they are definable. There have been periods in history where you had large nations that overwhelmingly professed faith. Now, that doesn't mean that they all were faithful to their covenant promises. But there was still large-scale profession of faith, and the church was the center of all of life. I mean, no one would even allow another building in a village or in a community to be taller than the church. So if the church was short, all the other buildings had to be shorter because they gave priority to the house of God. They said that it should be the thing that stands out above any other building. Now, in some places it was actually written in the code, but in many other places it wasn't necessarily a code. It's just you don't do that. So, Jesus, again, in his instruction to us to pray, he, he prays, hallowed be thy name. That's a request. Sanctify your name. Set your name apart in the earth. And then he prays, Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is praying. Now consider who's praying here. The Son of God, the perfect man, the second person of the Trinity, is asking his Father to do something that Jesus knows already will be done. So what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, that we should pray in the same faith that Jesus did, but that when we pray, we should not limit our prayers to only those needs that are the closest to us. We all know about praying for personal needs. And that's good. Jesus teaches us to pray for personal needs. But in our prayer, in our prayer lives, we need to pray Global. We need to pray more than just for myself, my church, and my family. Because the kingdom of God surpasses myself, my church, and my family. What Jesus is teaching us to pray is that the Lord in heaven would accomplish throughout the world, beginning where they are, what he's already promised to do. Now, where do we, are there other instances of this type of prayer going on in Scripture? And the answer is yes. In fact, most of the prayers that we have written for us in the New Testament, especially from the Apostle Paul, are geared towards very 
broad spiritual requests unto God. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 16. Cease not... He's just picking up in the middle of a sentence, so let's go back to verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And so this is the prayer that Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named." not only in this world, but also in the one to come. And having put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, we would be hard-pressed to find ourselves praying in such a way. This is not the type of prayer that comes to us naturally. It's broad. It covers a lot of ground. But Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, this is the thing that I pray for you. Now, there are other things that he prays for them as well, but this is where he starts. Just like that is where Jesus started. He's praying, and we don't have time to go into exposition of this prayer in Ephesians, but that should be our goal that when we pray that our prayers are consumed to a great extent with supplication like this. Now, I'm not saying that you must do this every time you pray. I'm not saying that you must have a list and that you just check it off. You know, all right, I prayed one of those big prayers Brother Matt said. I have to check. No. Only that... For most of us, it's it's beyond the realm of our consciousness naturally. Because we're not used to thinking in such ways. We like concrete. We like, I can see it, and I I know that this is a problem, and when, when such and such happens, I know that the problem will have been resolved. And I would say that Paul would not explicitly know a time and a day when the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened and that they would know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. But he prayed it. And so we should be praying similar things. Well, go on in Ephesians to Ephesians 3. And read in verse, start in verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height 
and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye may be, might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's the same type of thing. Paul is praying a very broad and expansive prayer for the church. And if this is what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, and that is what Jesus was praying for when He prayed that the Lord's kingdom would come and His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we too should seek to have that type of desire. And it takes, again, discipline. I know I just said that we don't, we shouldn't make a list, but because lists can be burdensome and that's not what I'm asking. But something like, some type of reminder. And even this is a, a, on a side note, it can be helpful to, in your prayer life, make a, a list. Maybe it would just be over a seven-day period. It could be over a month if you want to be that detailed. But make a list of items to pray for each day of the week. And on one or two of those days, include some very broad requests to God. Things like, Thy kingdom come and Thy will be done and hallowed be Thy name. So, we should pray and it should be a priority in our prayer life to pray for universal spiritual blessings of the kingdom of Christ. Number Two, the second thing that we are taught to pray for is physical needs. He said in verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. If it is not humbling to us to know that all that we have is from God, then we probably can't be humble. We are called to recognize when we pray this, even though we have right now, we have bread, we have meat, we have plenty to drink, we have more than people have in history. Yet, we should pray for this and give thanks to the Lord for providing these things because He indeed is the one who has done that. And praying for physical needs is important. Now, I'm going to broaden this a little bit in addition to praying for our daily bread. This coming Wednesday, as all of you know, Amanda is scheduled for a C-section. And that little baby will, Lord willing, be born in health and in strength. I realize that medical science has improved large amounts over the last 100 years. And praise be to God, the infant mortality rate is a fraction of what it used to be. But... 
that does not mean that we take this baby's birth for granted. Now, you have physical needs also. Things that, you know, you get sick. You have friends that are sick. Family who is sick. Some people on the verge of death at times. You know people who are suffering. Physical needs are ordained by God for us to pray. They're, they're given by Him. Now, however you want to, you know, posit that fact, physical needs come and they come by God's hand. He can stop them if He wanted to. He doesn't. He chooses to allow them to come in a particular way and for particular purposes, most of which we don't know. Some of which we will never know. But at the time that Jesus was teaching his followers to pray, they did not have their daily needs met. Yet still, someone like Paul could speak to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in thee and the God do... And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for me of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in respect of, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Uh, communicate doesn't mean they just sent him a nice letter. They sent him a nice letter with a gift attached. And Paul is telling them, thank you for what you have provided for me. Verse 15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated or gave with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I misquoted this verse earlier this morning. I said, my God shall supply all my needs. And as Paul wrote, he shall supply your needs. I missed one word there. When I started to quote uh, the song, Be Thou My Vision, I got the first and third verses mixed up. So that was an even bigger misquote. Nonetheless, just proved again how imperfect I am. Still, Paul is telling the church that they have been a blessing to him in his physical necessity. They've given him things that he was in need of. But still, even though they are the ones who give, and they are the ones who... I mean, he said that he is abounding at this time. So we know there are times he was in jail. But right now, 
He was, he was abounding. We, we would say he had some abundance. Now, I'm sure he did not have the abundance most of us have today, but for him, it was abundance. Yet still he said, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Who does he attribute the gift of all things to? To God. So when we pray, we pray to the only one who truly can give, even if he uses someone else. And when he does give, we thank him for it. There's a story told, probably not true, but of an older lady. She was a widow, and she did not have any food. She was out of food. It was really hot in the summertime. She was inside her house, and her windows were open, and she lived next door to an atheist, and her atheist neighbor was outside. He heard her pray, Lord, please provide me with food for today. So the man heard it, went to the grocery store, bought her a couple of sacks of groceries, put them on her front porch, knocked on the door, and went and hid behind one of the bushes. So she came out, and she immediately blessed the Lord. Thank you, Father, for providing me with this food. And then the atheist stepped out and said, No, miss, God did not provide you that food. I gave you that food. And she looked up and she said, Thank you, God, for using the devil to provide me my food. The lady knew where her food came from, despite the means behind it. The Lord uses means, but He's the one who does the providing. So we pray, whatever the physical need is, that He would grant it to us. Well then, after we pray for universal or very broad-minded spiritual needs, we pray for physical needs, but then we also pray, thirdly, for personal needs in our prayers. We pray for personal needs. After Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, in verse 12, He said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, verse 14, excuse me, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus instructed his followers to pray for their personal spiritual needs. And this could include, because it's in the plural, lead us not into temptation, not just lead me not. There's still, Jesus includes in the personal being all those who are gathered together. And we would say something like, you know, my family and my church. This would be personal spiritual needs. And they're, they're praying for two things here. First of all, for forgiveness of sins in the same way that they forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive or in the same way that we forgive our debtors. Before we can pray that, those exact words, we need to make sure that we are forgiving people. Because if not, we really don't want that standard. If I find myself angry and bitter and unforgiving towards this person and that person, and I pray and forgive me my Debt as I've forgiven my debtors, I'm praying, don't forgive me. 
So that's not what we want. So implicit in this, in this, which is a personal spiritual need, is a desire to have a forgiving heart. Father, give me a forgiving, a tender, a loving heart towards those who offend me. If this is not present, the Christian life It's like trying to run an engine without motor oil. It's not going to work very long. It's going to grind down and pretty soon, really soon. If you've ever driven a vehicle that didn't have motor oil or that the oil needed to be changed and wasn't, what happens to it? You can run it for a while. But eventually that engine's going to lock up. And I mean it will lock up. And thankfully, I've not been in a vehicle that did that. But I know people who have. Forgiveness is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it does grant us the ability to continue walking as a faithful Christian. Because if we become bound in unforgiveness, we're in trouble. So this is a prayer. Jesus is teaching us to pray, grant me a a forgiving heart. And may you forgive me the way that I forgive others. And that's part of the key to our forgiving others is the Lord reminding us of how much He's forgiven us. Remember, we don't have to read it. Matthew 18, the the parable of the two debtors. One who owed a very large amount and he was forgiven that large amount and then he took a man who owed him a very small amount to prison over it. So when the one who, when the man that owed a large amount, it was discovered by the person who he owed the he owed money to, what he had done, he was taken, put in prison himself. We don't want to be in that position. So we should remember how much we've been forgiven. But then another personal spiritual need is for deliverance from temptation and attack. And these are are two different areas. He said, lead us not into temptation. Now, we know James chapter 1 says clearly that let no one think that when he is tempted that you're tempted by God. God doesn't make you, he doesn't make you fall to temptation. Let me also say, though, he does allow temptation to come. But he does not himself bring the temptation before you. You say, how does all that work? Well, I can't exactly explain how it all works. But I know that Job was tested, and on more than one occasion, Job was tempted, because we read that he was tempted to say, you know, to, to speak poorly of God. Yet, he didn't. 
And it said that in the things that he said up to that point, that he was faithful in his words. Well, we should also add that God was faithful in what he was doing as well. Right? Job didn't sin against God, and God also didn't sin against Job. But we must understand that if we abstain from temptation, it's because God has given us the grace to abstain. And if we sin, it's because we've rejected that grace to abstain. And we sin on our own. As I've heard Brother Zach and I've heard others say, all the good that I do is 100% God. And all the bad that I do is 100% me. And we don't get to claim one, well, we don't get to claim the good. We don't get to slough off the bad. So we pray for our personal spiritual needs, not only that we would be forgiving, but that we would be delivered from temptation and also from spiritual attack. First Peter chapter 5 talks about, Peter writes about how our enemy is seeking to devour us. He's a lion. He would seek our soul. So what do we do? Interesting. He he says, Cast your cares upon the Lord, for He careth for you. Say, how does that work? When you are in the midst of trial and, and your enemy would come after you and he would attack you, usually the first thing that we are guilty of is trying to bear through this on our own rather than submit ourselves unto Him. I'm not trying to make this sound like it's just something that you do literally by yourself. But the place that we start is in prayer. And it's not prayer that we... It's not that we're waiting until the hour of temptation. You know, the the, uh, the, the fire is burning its hottest and we're really wanting to, to give in to temptation. And, and yet, please, that's a good time to pray, but it's not the only time to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The time is before. So our enemy would seek to slay us. And we need, we should pray for our personal, spiritual needs. And even though we, at times leave off the large spiritual prayers, sometimes we also leave off the small ones. Like this. When's the last time you prayed for a forgiving heart? Or when you prayed, Lord, please keep me from temptation. Please deliver me from the hands of those that hate me the way that David prayed in the Psalms. He's praying like that all the time. But also just like David, Jesus ends this prayer by ascribing power and glory to God. He said, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this can be kind of intimidating because we are so taught that we shouldn't try to sound impressive in our prayers. A lot of times we leave off any really high-sounding words of praise to God in our individual prayers. 
but we shouldn't. That should occupy a space in our prayers. See, prayer is not just asking for something. It's not your communication with your parents, with your friends, with your spouse. It's not all, can you do this for me? Would you give me this? Can you take care of this? Would you fix this? I mean, that's part of what you have to do, but that's not all of it. Some of it is just telling someone your appreciation of them. Not only what they've done, but just who they are. Well, this is to the perfect and triune and wonderful, glorious God. And in our prayer, having praise, saying words of praise, is important. So, as we come to God in prayer, not only should this prayer shape our lives, which it should, but also it should help us and give us priorities of prayer. To pray for universal or large-scale spiritual requests. To pray for personal spiritual requests and to pray for physical needs. In addition to giving God praise for who He is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You now for the opportunity that we've had this day to learn about You and how we should communicate with You. We confess our our struggle many times in prayer. But we also confess that You are all-sufficient and You've promised to lead us in all things for our good that You would see fit. And I pray that You would make it clear to us Your ways and Your path. In Jesus' name, Amen.